All right. Our teaching text for today is out of John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning uh, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not recognize him. Yet to all who, uh, who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or, of, uh, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let there be light. That didn't work. Never mind. Uh, No. We are told in the Genesis story that before those words were uttered by the Creator God, the earth was kind of formless and void, and that darkness was over the surface of the deep. When theologians talk about this passage, uh, that, those moments right before God said, let there be light, uh, there was not only great darkness, but a kind of chaos, a kind of disordered reality in the world. All things were not as they should be, right? But let there be light changed everything. After God utters those creative words, we get Uh, a uh, a methodical six-day process of creation, of taking the kind of raw materials that was brought into being by God's Word and forming it into something praiseworthy, something God even calls good. The Creator God literally invents light with His Word, and then, and really only then, does the process of bringing structure and meaning and significance out of the raw material of the world begin. Let there be light. And this story, the story of creation, forms the basis for our understanding of God at the beginning of the book, the beginning of the Scriptures. What is God like? What what is He like? What are the significant aspects of His character? Well, from the creation story, we learn that He is uh, quite clearly powerful, right? He constructs the cosmos with a word. We learn that He is inherently creative, I think when I, when I read the Genesis passage, what often comes to my mind is a sculptor who's dealing with just kind of a lump of clay and then working with that clay to bring about something beautiful, something productive. This is the picture we get of God in the Genesis story. And the final insight we get about this creator, the one who creates, is that he is unquestionably good. Is that what you think about when you think about God? Someone who is unquestionably good? Throughout the process of creation in Genesis 1, we keep hearing this phrase over and over and over. It was good, and it was good, and it was good. This is a God who not only does good things, but who creates good things, who in His very being, at His essence, is 
good, who speaks light into darkness and who, who brings order out of chaos. And for the ancient Hebrews, those people who wrote this book we call the Old Testament, in their conception of God, one of the first things they thought about when they thought about God was they thought about God as this type of creator. It was fundamental to their worship. It was fundamental to their identity. It was fundamental to their worldview that the, the God who called them together as a people was a creator and that he was good. When they thought about what God was like, they went back to the story of creation, and they worshipped him as the creator God. You see this all over the Psalms, which are basically the, the Jewish people's worship songs. In Psalm 146, this, it stands out very clearly. Psalm 146 begins, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. And then that a transition is made in verse 6 of, of Psalm 146, where he says, He is the maker of heaven and earth, the seas and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. You see, the vision of God, this vision of God as a creator enters the Hebrew imagination in a powerful way and colors everything they see and understand about who God is. It's woven, and this same vision of God as creator is woven into the entire story of the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. And the reason this morning that this idea is so important for us is that if you read our teaching text for today without this understanding of the Genesis story, you will miss what John is trying to say. You will miss it entirely. But if you read the opening pages of John's gospel with the Genesis story in your mind, you use it as a lens through which you see what John is saying, his, his, the beginning of his gospel takes on this kind of incredible and deep significance. He even starts out his gospel with the same words that begin the Genesis story, in the beginning. But what we quickly come to see is that John is not retelling the story of creation. He's not, just, he's not just informing an audience who are, who are kind of unaware of what happened in Genesis. He's actually kind of expanding and explaining it in a way, giving us a new story of a new kind of creation. Same God is in Genesis, same character, same power, same creativity, same goodness even. And just like in the Genesis story, there is light. There is light. Light is this kind of animating force in both the Genesis story and in John's gospel. It's all over the place. But the light in John's gospel is slightly different, a little bit. It is not photons moving through space at the speed of light, which I was going to look up so that I sounded smart, but I forgot to, so you'll just have to Google it. John says the character of the light that he is talking about is slightly different. In John 1, verse 9 and 10, he says this, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. What? He? Him? Personal pronouns for light? What, what's going on here? Now again, if you were unfamiliar with the Hebrew Scriptures, you could just about miss what John is doing. You could just about miss it. This is not a kind of simple retelling of the creation story. No, God the creator is actually doing something in John's gospel that is unimaginably new here, something that was de decidedly unexpected. 
heaven and earth, in a sense, are meeting. And the creator of the, all the world, the light, the word of God, is, is coming near us. In verse 14, he says this, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this is the story of Christmas, in a nutshell. It's this great story of recreation, actually, is what John is trying to say to us. God, again, is doing something inexplicable. He doesn't just cause the world to to exist. He enters into that existence (coughs) in order to make it new again, in order to bring light into dark places. (coughs) Excuse me. In order to bring light into dark places, bringing, once again, bringing order out of the chaos of our lives, lighting up our dark world. Have you ever wondered why all of the stories in the Bible that are in and around the Christmas story all take place at night? They do, don't they? Angels visit Mary and Joseph and the shepherds at night. The primary heavenly sign of Jesus coming to earth is, in the story is a star, something that can only be seen at night. Even the idea that the primary decorations we use during the Christmas season are lights, twinkly lights on your gutters, right, if you're brave enough to get up there and do that. I just left mine up from last year, so it made it really easy. And candles in our churches, right, and candles in our churches. The scriptures make quite clear to us that the Christmas story The story of God's coming to his creation in the person of Jesus is a story uh, that is thick with the significance of this light and creation. But one thing that's interesting about Jesus' coming in John's gospel and something that we find when we read the other gospel accounts of Jesus' presence with us is that while John is telling us that this is a new creation, this is God acting in the world in this brand new way, in just as powerful and as significant a way as he worked at the beginning, this advent of God, this coming of God, this creation is not as showy, is it? The scale shifts from the cosmic to the particular. In the, in the Genesis story, God speaks and the world is kind of cast into existence. In John's retelling of this story, the word became flesh, and we didn't even know it happened. One of my favorite authors, he's a pastor and writer, his name's Frederick Beecher. He wrote a book called Whistling in the Dark. Anything you get of Beecher's is great. Um, But in that book, he talks about this first creation story and about light itself. And he says in the first creation story, in the light that, that is displayed in that creation story is so extraordinary that it's hard for us to even understand. I live in Iowa. I drove to Kansas this week to, to, for Thanksgiving with my in-laws. And that was such a long drive that I could barely do it, right? It was like not even, I was, we got home last night and I said, Ashley, you're going to have to push me around in a cart to get me anywhere from now on because I will not... I will not go anywhere in a vehicle for like three weeks. That feels like a long ways away for for me, right? Think about God speaking the cosmos into existence in just a second. 
the scale of that is almost too big for us to understand. We can't really get our heads and our hearts around it. And yet, this is the scope that the, that the first story of creation, that the Genesis story gives to us. But the second story of creation, the story that John is telling us, the story that John is writing, the light that Jesus brings into the world seems almost ordinary by comparison, doesn't it? So ordinary, in fact, that we miss it. And that, the, and that John says in verse 11 that the, the people to whom this light came miss it. He says in verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And we could be tempted to think that the particularity of God, the specificity of God's coming, the kind of small state, the seemingly small stakes that occur when Jesus comes to earth, we could, we could mistakenly believe that that is not as important as the creation story, that, that something is lacking there. But I actually think it's the other way around, if you ask me honestly. The humble nature of God's coming to earth in that great second act of creation tells us again something about God's character, something about his character, what he is actually like. Notice that his character has not significantly changed. He is still powerful, still immensely creative to come up with the idea of coming to earth as a person in the first place, and still very, very good. Only now we learn in this story that he is also compassionate and humble, that he is compassionate and humble. In verse 14 of John 1, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. All the glory of God that exploded over the cosmos in creation, all the glory of God that created the stars and brought order to the raw material of the world, all the glory of God contained in the humble form of a Son come from the Father full of grace and truth. All to shine his light on us. And if you ask me, it is the humility and love of a God like that that is truly compelling. I can't get my head around the bigness of God, but I can get my head around the incarnation. I can't get my head around gravity or the Big Bang or quantum mechanics or any other thing that's just not in my wheelhouse, but a, but a God who stands with me, a God who is like me, that I can understand. That is what the word Emmanuel means, right? Just God with us, a God near us, a God who stands with us and like us. That makes sense to me. That, to me, is compelling. You know, when, Christ, when Christians celebrate Christmas, this is what we are celebrating. We are celebrating the great act of recreation in which the God of all goodness and light visits his creation in the form of a man to again release us from the grip of darkness. Only this time, the glory is man-sized. And for my money, it's all the more beautiful for it. And it's why I think the season of Christmas, what the church has historically called Advent, which just means arrival or appearing, it's why this season is so very special to so many of us. 
It's why we take the month of December and we really learn, we really lean into this story. We, we examine it. We allow it to teach us something. And so over the next four weeks, that, or three weeks actually, because this is the first week, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be looking for the light. Spending time in the scriptures. Specifically, we're going to be looking at three more stories where darkness was kind of a prevalent theme and how the light broke in to those dark moments and revealed something of God to humanity. The truth of the matter is, is that God's glory and his goodness are revealed in the person of Jesus. In that great act of recreation, something shifted. And the thing that shifted, we're told in the scriptures over and over and over, is the light of all mankind. Usually when we speak of God, we, we, when we think of God in the scriptures, we think of the big and the powerful. But in the incarnation, in the story of Jesus' coming to earth, what we see is not a God who is overpowering us. We see a, a God who comes in, humble, in a humble way to serve his creation. He comes in our own form, speaking our own language, and calling us by our name. You don't really need to understand anything all that complicated to understand that, do you? And if I'm being honest with you, my prayer for each of us this Christmas season is that we would have an encounter with the light of all the world. That we would encounter that God this Christmas season. That we would open our hearts up just enough to allow him to shine some light on some dark corner of our being. Jocelyn, if you could come up. Not so that he can make a spectacle of us. Not so that, uh, not so that we can turn into something big and awesome necessarily, but so that we can receive his healing. His healing. And so that we can be with him, which is the point of it all. And so this morning... And I know this message is really short, actually. I intended it to be that way. I really just have one question. One question for us. If what John says is true, if what the gospel, if, if what the gospel of John lays out at the beginning is true, if the God of all creation has met us in the person of, of Jesus that means that we have some type of access to a reality that well we didn't have access to before we have access to what Jesus routinely referenced as the kingdom of God we have access to relationship with God the Father through the person of Jesus we have access to the whole new world that is made available to us by Jesus' coming by his advent and the question, if there's one question this morning that I just want us to ask ourselves, it is what do you want God to shine his light on in your life this Christmas season? What do you want God to shine his light on in your life this Christmas season? What darkness are you carrying around that needs the light of Christ? What burden do you carry that you need to lay down at his feet? Maybe you're in this place this morning and you've never even opened yourself to the possibility that Jesus is who he says he is. 
that he was God come to earth to set his people free from the bondages of darkness, sin, and death by laying down his life on the cross for us. And you need simply this morning to place your faith and trust in that Jesus. Maybe that's where you are, giving your life over to him. If that's you in this place, I would encourage you to do that in just a moment as we take a time of reflection. The truth of the matter is, is that there are inevitably parts of our hearts, parts of our lives that God wants to shine his light on. And so we've provided you with a slip of paper. It's on the seat. You might be sitting on it. And here in just a moment, we, I just want to take a minute of quiet reflection with all of you. And just invite the Spirit of God to kind of stir in our hearts and in our minds this morning. And just ask that, and have you ask that question. What do I want God to shine his light on this Christmas season? Because it is not, it is, but I don't want this Christmas season to be just another Christmas season. Full of like cheese trays, as much as cheese trays are my absolute favorite thing. But if cheese trays are all that occurs this Christmas season, I think we've missed something significant, haven't we? We've missed a kind of opportunity. And it is my prayer that this Advent, this Christmas season, that you and I would lean into it in a way. That it would become one of, if not the most significant Christmases of our lives. As we open ourselves up significantly to the presence of God, we allow the light of Jesus to shine into the dark or broken places of our own souls, our own minds, our own heads, our own hearts, and we allow him to have his work in us. It's possible. Maybe for you this Christmas season, it's time to be done with that controlling sin, whatever it is. Maybe for you this Christmas season, it's time that you, you open yourself up and you allow the light of Christ to shine on that deep wound, maybe even a wound that you received in childhood, and allow God's healing and his grace to meet you in that place. Maybe it's time this Christmas season that you let go of some deep-seated fear or anxiety that you've been carrying with you over the year. The truth of the matter is, is that when Jesus came to the earth, he came to restart God's big plan to initiate from God's side of the equation a work that we could not do for ourselves. The work of forgiveness, the work of grace. And it's all kind of summed up in this image, this picture of God's light. In Isaiah 9, 2, the passage we read during our Advent reading this morning, it says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light is dawned. And if you're in this place this morning and you feel like you're one of those people, like you're walking in deep darkness, like you're living in darkness, I can assure you that a light is dawned, that Christ has come, and that there is no darkness that he cannot expel. There is no insecurity that he cannot cast out. There is no imperfection that he, to which he cannot bring wholeness. There is nothing, nothing, nothing. 
that when placed in the hands of this God, can't be renewed. And so for the next just minute or two, in the quietness of our hearts this morning, as Jocelyn plays, I just want us to ask the Holy Spirit, what is it that Christ wants to shine his light on this Christmas season in our own lives? And then just take that paper, fold it up, put it in your Bibles, do whatever you want with it. But there's this way of verbalizing or writing down that I think is powerful. And then carry that thing with you through the rest of this Christmas season and consciously opening yourself to the possibility that maybe, just maybe, God wants to heal that thing. All right. Just a moment.